0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Now that Independence Day has come and gone, we can take a moment to reflect on all the criminally insane people who want to tell you that somehow America is hateful and awful and terrible and just the worst place on planet Earth. These people are usually people who have been elected to public office and are in charge of making the country a better place. No, no. The citizen is always in charge of making the country a better place. And when you elect people like Representative Cory Bush, you really have no chance of doing that. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be back, if only for like a day and a half. Yeah, because like on Friday, I'm in Vegas. Actually, Thursday, I fly out to Vegas. Thursday, I fly out. And then I'm there Friday through Monday. And then I'm back on the air, and I don't think I'm taking any more days off after that. I don't think I have any more days off to take. It's just been, it's been vacation, and I, it's a cigar conference. Yes, I know the struggle is real. I'm working very, very hard. You want to know why I love America? Cigar conference. Just one of the many, many reasons. And yes, it was Representative uh, uh, Cory Bush who put out on Independence Day, this is a great day to remember that we need reparations. Sure. You figure it out. You figure it out. How you're going to pay for it, how you're going to handle future generations. Don't get the money. Unless, of course, you believe that every person who is black gets the money for forever. And you take a look at anybody else who dealt with any hardship in America and you say, hey, uh, too bad on you. Now, hardship is different than slavery. I will agree. Slavery is evil. Slavery is awful. Slavery is disgusting and terrible. It is part of America in terms of how we built, and it can't be denied. But it is not the whole of America because America got past it. Even if you were to read of, of "What to the Slave Is the Fourth of July," Frederick Douglass, uh, you know, as as I've discussed it, one of the most important pieces you should ever read. He cheers the founders and commends their bravery. He then questions how a nation that could have such bravery could still allow slavery. This was his uh, address, the address that was made. Uh, wh- where was he? He was, he, was in, he was in Rochester. Frederick Douglass was in Rochester and made this speech, Rochester, New York, July 5th, 1852. It was just a few years later that the Civil War uh, began. And a few years after that, the Emancipation Proclamation. But he asked the, the, the question, uh, you know, if, if you're a slave, what to the slave is the 4th of July except, uh, man, you pushed so hard for freedom, you did not want to live under the yoke of oppression. Uh, look at this. A legitimate and sound argument made by Frederick Douglass that day. Really and truly, if you've never read it, it is it is extremely valuable. But of course, Frederick Douglass also discusses the ability of a young nation to grow and to fix its problems as opposed to nations that are well-entrenched. He talks about the grooves and the ruts and, and you're stuck where you are. Well, it's people like Representative Cory Bush who don't want to accept that the nation has grown that the nation has gotten better that the idea of we the people in order to form a more perfect union is about constantly moving forward she doesn't want to admit to it she doesn't want to accept it all she wants to know is where's hers and my answer is not to get upset about it or worked up but I'd say okay go go figure it out get back to me let me know what's what but I don't know how you're going to pay for it. And I don't know how you're going to get future uh, generations uh, to accept it. And I don't know how you're going to get people to pay for it. Because in the end, if you argue that the reparations has to be paid for, you're going to say only white people pay for it. How does that happen? And considering that I never owned slaves, my children never owned slaves, how are you going to get it out of them? But neither here nor there, you're going to do it via taxation? A taxation only on a segment of the population, not the whole? Again, I don't know how you're going to make that past constitutional muster, but go knock yourself out. But Cory Bush, Representative Bush, is just one of these people who, who want to make claim on, on, on Independence Day that America is just this awful, terrible place and it's not. And you should pay people like her no mind. Unserious is Corey Bush. And that she is able to be a congresswoman? It means we need much better candidates. Don't ever tell me about candidate quality and then show me Representative Cori Bush. Because that is not quality. That is just some pure, raw, unadulterated hate right there. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. But 500 miles and just like everybody else, ESPN has had layoffs. And it's not surprising. No one should be surprised by the ESPN layoffs because Disney, which owns ESPN, said it was coming when Bob Iger came back in as CEO, replacing Bob Chapek, who absolutely brutalized the company. You think it's just the woke stuff. You don't understand the internals, maybe. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Bob Chapek, the former CEO, re the systems and the chain of command and made it unbelievably cumbersome, burdensome, um, hard to, to maneuver. And when Bob Iger got back in, because Chapek had not really provided the company with leadership, he started ripping all that apart and then started taking a look at the money and said, well, holy hell, we're going to have to fix a lot of this. This is not going to work for us and went about doing so. And that's when everybody knew that layoffs were coming to Disney and every part of Disney, just like we've seen them at Amazon, just like we've seen them at Microsoft, just like we've seen them everywhere. The layoffs have come. Now, some of these names have been absolutely huge names in the world of ESPN. And you wonder whether or not they're making sense with some of these layoffs. You got Stephen A. Smith saying that more is coming. And who knows, maybe even he uh, could be laid off. And he is probably one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent voice right now at ESPN. And then you've got some people wanting to blame Pat McAfee. JMV joins us from 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Before we get to the McAfee conversation, I want to talk about some of these layoffs because I am not somebody who believes that you are guaranteed a job. You and I are in radio, son. We know that we could be gone any second, any day, no question, and, and not even having done something wrong. Just, you know what? we made a decision and you got to go but you take a look at some of the layoffs they made over there at espn some of the big names let me give you three of them jeff van gundy jalen rose Susie colber these layoffs make sense to you
1: uh well jeff van gundy starting right there tony does not at all because he is by far the best basketball analyst that they have certainly best nba analyst that they have and To me, uh, because you're so deeply rooted in the NBA as ESPN is, you just make yourself worse by doing that. Um, I I don't know what the financials is. I don't know what he was making contractually. I don't know what was going on there. But I'm just telling you, in terms of your basketball product presentation, you made yourself worse by doing that, making that decision. Susie Colbert was around for 27 years. Um, It's weird. I know she did not do sports Center, She did other things. But here's what we'll get to is sports Center as we know it, Tony is going away. The only thing that's going to still hang ultimately is going to be that of Scott Van Pelt, and he handles it differently at night. It's not just a sports center of highlights, it's interviews. He interviews people, things like that. It's almost like a mixture of a highlight show and a talk show. Right. That will survive. The other aspects of sports Center won't. It's just drastically different now, and I think those were the cuts. You know, they talked about future Tony ESPN cuts coming. I think anybody that is doing SportsCenter right there probably would be worried because it is way too easy right now to get all your highlights from your mobile device. And SportsCenter, unfortunately, for this growing now older generation, is just unnecessary. and and
0: that's the real story here and this is why I think that some of the reaction to this is out of control things change and things morph and the business uh, changes and as you discuss you know getting things from your mobile device you're talking about getting things from social media somebody could put together a, a compilation of clips on TikTok faster than ESPN could ever do it and you don't necessarily need their commentary maybe you're not as bought into some of the personalities as you used to be and personalities matter a lot it's what still makes radio tick and what makes a guy like Scott Van Pelt worked uh, so incredibly well. So I did not look at Susie Culber's dismissal as the end of the world either. I still think she's a talent. I think she may end up in in, in some places. And then there were people who were let go who I was like, yeah, I absolutely see this. People like Jalen Rose, who engaged, I think, more politics than anything else, or at least got my attention on the politics side as opposed to the basketball side. And that's something that ESPN may have realized they made a mistake with in the past few years and wanted to further do away with
1: yeah not only that Tony I I do I I agree that's probably it as well Uh, you got look at people like Steve Young Steve Young I think kind of flew in there on a Monday night and I I say fly not literally but figuratively kind of flew in there was on breaking down Monday night games Um, I think also what they realized Tony is you don't need like 10 people sets anymore you just don't. And that goes for really college game day. We'll see if anybody besides David Pollack goes uh, with college game day, certainly now that McAfee is playing a role. And you were going to bring up Pat McAfee monetarily too. They're not just going to use Pat McAfee for a radio show. He's going to be doing absolutely everything. And we'll see how that goes for him. And and you give, you give him 100% credit for building his brand stratospherically. I think that is absolutely awesome. But what people are going to look for is how much – the place that is paying you right now, how much input will they have to change you? Because that's what people don't want to see, Tony. Well, well, they wait. don't want to see Pat becoming something else and here. But he is certainly worth the time and the effort of that monetary yeah. that monetary compensation right now. Let, let's
0: get into this. By the way, on my list, David Pollack was let go.
1: Yes. Yeah, he was. He was. That's what I said. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm wondering, questioning whether or not there are others. Gene, uh, I think it was named Wojciechowski, he did those kind of uh, teary-eyed Um, ensembles in the morning during game day that were just awesome to watch. Always brought a kind of a tear to your eye a little bit too. He brought those to you. I think he is now retired. Uh, That's probably what Susie Colbert Tony's going to end up doing after 27 years. She probably will retire. I I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But uh, you wonder, these big ensemble casts that they have, where they have like 10, 12 people on the set, Um, I think they've also realized now, um, with the change at the top, that that's no longer necessary. So I think that's where a lot of the changes you see right now. And this is
0: where the personality conversation comes in. Talking to JMV from 93.51075, The Fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. Pat McAfee is a personality and Pat McAfee starts uh, his thing, gets with Barstool, goes to FanDuel and then leaves that $100 million to head over to ESPN and people asked why in the world would he do this he's actually getting less money and I answered the question by saying this is a guy who at the time was about to have a child now I believe has had a, a child he wants to do the thing he doesn't want some of the responsibilities that come with owning the thing. I absolutely understand it and he doesn't want to have to to grow a platform in that way and so he went in this direction totally fine uh, makes sense and some people are saying well you're paying him 75 80 million dollars and and that means these other people have to go i'll say two things first of all yes that's absolutely right Sometimes you're going in one direction, you can't afford the other direction. And secondly, McAfee brings a built-in audience and brings in a personality that's going to more connect with the viewer they desperately need, true or false?
1: Yeah, not only that, too, but uh, he's going to sell. I mean, that's, that's part of it. You know, whether we like it or not, Tony, uh, both you and I and everybody that does this right now, you realize what you get in here, and especially after a long period of time. How significant you are in terms of selling the people that you work for their brand and your own brand and I love what you have done I mean you have really you, you've started to do more in branching out I mean I love the barbecue book stuff and I love the the eat, drink and smoke stuff I think that's really smart by you to do that and that's what you learn when you do this for a while and that's what's so incredible about McAfee he learned that at a very early age a very early stage there he learned that you can be multidimensional and bet on yourself, bet on your own brand. That's what he has done because it is much more these days, Tony, as we both know, much more than just bringing in the ears or the eyeballs or whatever. It is being able to be sold or, you know, being a viable product to sell. And he is certainly at the top of the list of those doing anything right now, whether it's sports, news, politics, what have you at the top of the list of people that are able to do that
0: the importance of personality the importance the the reason that that people are able to stay is that they make a connection with their audience and through that connection uh there 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 is this this Well, this, this ability to last without the connection or nothing. If you're somebody who believes in, in your own greatness and not in the audience engaged with you, you cannot survive in this world. So when you talk about the other things that I do, I I branch out because I have a lot, I have a lot of, of different interests, but it's also a a recognition of uh, someone explained this to me once. I mean, this is a little inside baseball guys, but, but so be it when you get fired from your radio gig, that's not the time to set up a podcast. The the time to set up a podcast is while your radio gig is going so people get to know it. So when you do get fired from your radio gig, they already know where you're at. It's about yeah. utilizing that, yeah. but it's also about a true sharing of self in a way that wasn't true 30 years ago. And and you got to admit that that McAfee does this very well. The question yeah. that I would ask is in that if we are engaging in a bit of comparativeness, does Stephen A. Smith in uh you know let loose of himself? in a way that McAfee does and is when, when Stephen A. Smith says more layoffs are coming and I could be next, is he just saying that to be, you know, deferential or could he actually be next?
1: No, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be next because they have too much stock into him right now. I mean, he's a, the loudest heard voice, if certainly on that network. And, um, you know, like him, loathe him, whatever, he's going to bring in Eyeballs, ears, and he's probably going to sell. He's going to be able to be sold by those that need to do it. You brought up a great point about what you did. Call it diversifying or whatever. But you you started all that stuff right now by being you, by being yourself. And that's what people want. That's what McAfee is. McAfee is his himself. McAfee was that way when he put his footballs and he's this way right now. And that's why I mentioned a little bit earlier That's if people are looking at anything, it's not even so much monetarily what he's getting paid and the layoffs at ESPN, it is people are going to be looking for any sort of even subtle type of change. And that's what I hope for him doesn't happen because he has been himself the entire time. That has worked stratospherically. You have been yourself. That works with a podcast. You're absolutely right. You don't start a podcast when you're done because then that's not you. This is being you right now, Tony. Pat's being himself. You're being you. I always, every step I take every day, I be myself, and that works. Maybe not to the point where we never have to get let go or never lose our gig or never get outdated or anything like that, but that is the best that we can do to the best of our ability right now in what we do, what we love to do, and McAfee does it again better than anybody else. Do
0: you find yourself – a, 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 as a host as as a as a commentator as a personality let's call it that right just not trying to be ego driven just trying to explain it well um do you find yourself saying what else should i be doing like like cuz i I don't ask myself what else I should be doing. I do ask myself yeah. what else do I want to do, and then I go about doing that thing. It is definitely about the want, less, uh, not so much the should. It is really always about what else do I
1: want to be doing. Do you ask yourself this? Yeah, I do. I do sometimes. I, I do, but this this is it. And I, I will say this. When I talk about being real um, in terms of you, in terms of me, we live in a world now where oftentimes the loudest voice is the voice that is heard. And honestly, I think a lot of people have seen that. They don't know what they're talking about. They're going to scream and yell about stuff. They're going to do that because it is paying right now. I don't have that ability. I can't do that. I can't be fake. I can't scream and yell and shake my fist about something that does not compel me to do so naturally. So that's kind of where I am right now with this, whether it's sports, news, politics, or whatever. And again, that's why I think our listeners out there, viewers out there, they want us to be real. We create compelling content by being ourselves. That's what they want. I'm not going to go chase that thing by screaming and yelling and being somebody who I am not. You don't do that either. And there's a lot, there is a lot of goodness in that, Tony in a world in which can be somewhat fraudulent and fake sometimes in what we do. That is something I think our listeners, the people enjoy us the most, really enjoy out of our broadcast. And the same thing with Pat McAfee. He's not that way. He's just himself. That's who you have to be in this. Sometimes you get over with the screaming and yelling, but oftentimes we see the benefits of what McAfee has done. It's been an amazing ride. It really has for him
0: jmv9351075 the fan i appreciate you taking the time to be with us more is coming up keep it here i'm tony carrens being on vacation as i was i missed so much news so many things broke last week it was unbelievable but one of the things that broke was of course the decision from the supreme court to put an end to race based or race conscious admissions in universities ending affirmative action tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you and everybody focused on the reaction i'm not saying the reaction doesn't matter because the reaction from the left is so out of control Uh, we got to change the courts we have to disregard the courts how about an understanding of what the law was? And, and how it affects us. William Jacobson, Cornell law professor, joined me. Uh, he is also the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com to break down uh, the, the, the cases, the UNC case and the Harvard case, and what is it that the court came to and that really some of the historical perspective. Well, if you look
2: historically back at affirmative action going back to the 1970s, it was viewed as mostly remedial that there had been multiple decades prior to that when blacks were excluded from many schools, when there was overt racism and overt discrimination. And so affirmative action was viewed as a way of making up for uh, people who had been excluded. That was fairly narrow, and that is still consistent with the law, that if you can show that a specific government department specifically excluded people on the basis of race, you can engage in affirmative action to cure that. But it's very specific. It has to be that unit, and it it has to be very provable. But affirmative action over time turned into something a lot more. You can received a huge helping hand from the Supreme Court in 2003 in the Grutter case, as relates to higher education, where they held that having a diverse student body in and of itself was a uh, particu- uh, potentially compelling state interest that would allow for some narrow and clearly defined and time limited uh, you know, uh, favoritism on the basis of race. So affirmative action has changed over time from trying to cure close in time discrimination that had taken place really up until the 1960s to now, it's simply uh, an agenda item to promote one race over another.
0: As as a matter of uh, of law, and I'll give you a second there just to clear your throat and uh, get yourself a drink. Uh, as as a matter just of of sheer law, as a matter of where the Constitution sits, should should the federal government should we have a a say? In in whether or not a university can admit anybody for any reason or not admit anybody for any reason.
2: Well, there's a lot of factors there, <clears throat> and my throat is going to continue to be a little bit clogged. Sorry, about not a that. problem. Man. Uh, there's nothing I can do. Uh, so, uh, you know, these schools all are either public institutions or they receive federal money, and when you take that federal money, you have to comply with variety of federal regulations and when you are a public entity you have to comply with uh, you know it's state action so you've got to comply with the constitution whether a truly private entity could get away with it remains to be seen because there's a whole host of other laws like public accommodations laws and things like that but that's not the case here we're talking about unc a public university and you're talking about harvard which receives probably tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars a year in federal grants and contract money. So the day that Harvard and UNC could say, hey, that's none of your business, court system, federal court system, that never really existed and it certainly doesn't exist now. So yeah, it's everybody's business
0: talking to William Jacobson Cornell law professor the mind behind legalinsurrection.com so you just answered the question of why this is uh, that the federal government has a, a place here because there is federal money and we're, whenever we're talking about the private sphere like we saw the case with the web designer who didn't want to design uh was, was it specifically a a website for somebody who was gay or in, or involving uh same-sex marriages and and, and the court said you, you don't have to design it you have the right to Say No, I'm not saying you should say no. I'm saying you have the right to say no. And I think this is going to lead into a conversation regarding the public accommodation uh, and whether or not that is still something that is is a worthy standard in the U.S. or whether you as a business owner, as a private business owner can make decisions. But in this case, as you're well spelling out, this isn't about private. This is about whether or not government money can be used in in these ways. And specifically when we talk about that Harvard case, we know that Asian students were told, step to the side, we have enough people who look like you. I mean, that's really what was said to them by the Harvard staff and Harvard admissions, and that's what was part of the complaint here that you're telling me I'm not allowed in, not based on what you claim are the standards, but rather a standard on on a color of skin or an ethnicity.
2: Well, you know, Harvard denied deliberately discriminating. And they said that they only used race in their evaluations as a plus factor. And that was really what was before the Supreme Court is can schools even use race at all? Can you have what's called race conscious decision-making? I think that if Carver had come come right out and been thoroughly transparent about it and say, we are going to limit the number of Asians, I don't think that, you know, they would have gotten away with that for as long as they did but instead harvard has been this you know trailblazing university the top of the the heap so to speak um was a trailblazer in nuanced discrimination they invented what's called the holistic model in the 1920s to keep jews out to limit the number of jews and they have they pioneered that and they now use that same holistic model to limit the number of asians And they do it in very surreptitious ways which were proven in the case took seven years of litigation took a trial took discovery they fought this tooth and nail and it did come out that they had a ruse going on and the ruse going on was a personality score and it just so happened that the personality score was the vehicle that soft sort of evaluation the vehicle to keep asians out as if asians as a group uh, You know, bad personalities. So and I think that was very damaging. And even in the opinion itself by the court, they included charts that the plaintiffs had prepared showing how much different Asians were treated than all other groups, but particularly than black applicants. And they showed Asians, and I might be wrong on the number here but had to get like 140 or 150 points higher on the SATs to have an equivalent admissions rate as black applicants. And there's no other explanation for that other than discrimination.
0: This so. holistic thing is, is I, I don't think people understand how pervasive it is. And of course, with your work at legal insurrection and the work you do uh, at, at, regarding critical race theory and seeing what's being taught on, on college campuses, Butler University, right down the road from me here in Indianapolis, immediately put out a statement that they're going to, going to continue to do a holistic review of all applicants, which really reads that Butler University, in my view, and many, many other universities, I don't want to single them out specifically, although they're the ones where, where I saw the tweet because it is local, have said, we see what you're saying, Supreme Court. We see that you've done away with affirmative action. We see that you've done away with race conscious admissions, which is how UNC and Harvard were trying to deal with this. But we're gonna do it anyway. That's very much what it seems uh, that they're saying. What's your take?
2: Oh, absolutely. Anybody who thinks that, affirm- you see a lot of headlines, Supreme Court ends affirmative action, affirmative action is dead, etc. cetera, is kidding themselves. These universities are completely addicted to racial preferences. It is part of their core philosophy on life. It is part of their core being. It's why we have diversity, equity and inclusion has become a religion on campuses. They are not going to give this up. They Harvard immediately after the decision sent out a statement that indicates how they're going to do it. So the court drew a distinction. You cannot consider the race of an individual in admissions, but you can consider that person's personal experiences with racism. And that was something that all the parties had said. You cannot stereotype students. You cannot say all black students get treated the same, all white students get treated the same. But you can, if somebody personally has overcome racism in their lives, you can consider that. And that is the loophole through which Harvard and other universities are gonna try to drive a truck. They, Harvard was very smug about it. They quoted that sentence from the Supreme Court And then they say, of course, we will comply with the court's ruling, meaning that's how they're going to do it. Of course, they didn't quote the next sentence in the opinion, which says these essays and these personal experiences can't be used as a device to evade our ruling. But that's exactly what they're going to do. Anybody who thinks racial preferences are over is kidding themselves. The schools will do a workaround almost universally.
0: And 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 it seems so incredibly obvious that that's the case. And as you point out the smugness there uh, of, of Harvard, as I pointed out uh, the point from, from Butler, they are seemingly just very okay with this. And as a matter of fact, not only okay with this, it seems to me that they're making the argument that you should accept this, that they know how to create justice. Does affirmative action? Do you believe it did then? And we know I'm, I mentioned former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Uh, do you believe it then engaged some level of justice? And was in as a, as a matter of law, was it about righting a wrong? And are these uh, schools in taking a look at race as their key factor for admissions? It would seem. Are they righting a wrong?
2: Well. The wrong that took place took place many decades ago, and to some extent, centuries ago, Uh, you know, but since the mid-1960s, we've had very strong laws. We've had unstated affirmative action since the 1970s, and I use that term specifically because the uh, dean of Berkeley Law School, very highly ranked, top 10 law school, was caught on videotape using that term, unstated affirmative action. Now he was talking about the hiring process at Berkeley Law School. That we can think it, we can uh, you know vote for it, but we can't say it, and that we can't say we're doing affirmative action because that's actually banned in California by par- proposition. It's banned. So what you you have multiple generations now where there has either been explicit affirmative action under the Grutter ruling and the pre- prior prior rulings that, or you've had unstated affirmative. So to argue in 2023 that we have immediate past wrong that needs to be narrowly remedied maybe that flew in 1970 and i think you can make a good argument in 1970 for that but not in 2023 it's not about writing a wrong to particular individuals it's a social agenda
0: now there has been a tremendous amount of response to the affirmative action ruling to this ruling uh, about uh free speech where you can't force a web designer to make a, a website they don't want to make, just like you should never have tried to force a masterpiece cake shop to make to decorate a, a cake for a, a same sex couple and I will tell you and i would I would debate it with you another time that i 'm somebody who opposes the public accommodation. It seems uh, that the that while I believe it in cultural theory that in legal uh, in the legal world, I don't think any business should be forced to to serve me. If you are a a restaurant, to, you know, fully privately funded, you don't want to serve me. Well, then, my gosh, don't serve me. I, I think that that should be uh, allowed as a case of uh, uh, and a concept of, of freedom uh, more than anything else. But that's that's a subject for 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 another day. I want to share with you this. This was the headline. Of an article from Medi Hassan over at MSNBC, who died and made the Supreme Court, a, a Congress. And it's all about how here we have a Supreme Court. Now, of course, the Supreme Court, it's radical because it has some conservatives uh, uh, on the bench. Now it's a radical Supreme Court and they're legislating from the bench and we shouldn't listen to these responses anyway. We shouldn't listen to these decisions. As a matter of fact, we should pack the court. We should have more justices on the court because nothing in the Constitution discusses the number of justices and we shouldn't allow them to have this level of control mainly because they're saying things we don't like on the political left how do you respond to that how do you teach your students to respond
2: well i I think that what you're seeing go on is a frustration from the left that the one major institution they don't control is the supreme court and to call the supreme court activist is really having it back way backwards they're not forcing anybody to do anything They're saying, you know, they're protecting individual liberties in the case of the website designer. It's not so much that she can't serve people, but she can't be forced to express a message with which she disagrees. And the same is true in the affirmative action cases. They're not forcing anybody to do anything. They're saying the limit, they're pointing out the limits on government's ability to do things, that individuals have a right to equal protection of the laws and the government can't you know, uh, disrupt that, can't in, in, uh, impinge on that. And so what? this, all of, most of the Supreme Court decisions are the exact opposite of a totalitarian <clears throat> or authoritarian uh, mentality. They're enabling individual freedom. And so that's really, uh, you know, bizarre to hear those sort of complaints. But Mehdi Hassan and people like that, it's just purely political. It's a they want power. They're so used to having power. And they they never complain when the Supreme Court would make things that change the nature of our society, whether you like them or not, like finding a right to abortion in the early 1970s, or finding a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. These are things that change the, the landscape of the country in many ways. And you didn't hear people like Mehdi Hassan and others at MSNBC complaining about it when they did that. Uh, and so these Supreme Court decisions are actually just empowering individual rights and scaling back government control.
0: William Jacobson, legalinsurrection.com. I appreciate you being with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. More updates are going to come out about this murder in Philadelphia. Five people were murdered. Uh, the gunman, uh, a man who dresses as a woman, a BLM, Black Lives Matter advocate. And people are going to tell me I can't say what I just said. That that's a That's a despicable description. You're just going to try and get people hurt. No. I'm going to tell you what's being reported. And I'm not about to listen to people who tell me you can't say these things. In Nashville, you've got a woman who claimed to be a man murdering people. And yet somehow we're not allowed to talk about it. There's a manifesto, it turns out. But you can't release it because that could lead to more violence. If the person doing the murder uh, was connected somehow to supporting Donald Trump, it's all we would hear about 24-7-365. I'm not playing into narratives. I'm going to have open conversations and try and understand what's happening. But the connective tissue in all of these things is cultural and societal rot which it seems our elected officials don't want to talk about. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.